Hey everybody, this is the week of March the 3rd, 2020, and thank you for listening to To The Point, a podcast about the weekly ins and outs of The Point Church. This week, Pastor Tim is still out of the office, so Pastor Joe and Pastor John get together to discuss deconstructionism and Christian subcultures. This is episode 22 of To The Point. Welcome to To The Point podcast here at The Point Church in lovely Perdido Key, Florida. Uh, my name is Joe McClellan. I'm the executive pastor and worship leader at our Perdido Key campus. I'm joined today by Pastor John Vickers. John? Good morning. Hope everybody's having a great Monday. John is our next generation's pastor, oversees everything from cradle to freshman year of college Something and beyond. Like that. Yeah. So uh, today we are again limping just a little bit because our fearless leader is still in the Middle East. He's in Israel right now on a, a tour of the Holy Land. We also have our producer, Nathan Duckworth, here with us. Hello. Yeah, from Off far in the away. distance. Yeah. Uh, good to have you with us, Nathan. Nathan keeps us together, keep, edit, edits out the things we shouldn't say, and uh, makes our voices sound great on here, so we're thankful for him. Uh, we just want to do a quick recap of yesterday here at the church. Uh, John, uh, what do you think of the day? Well, we had Brian Nall in, who is the uh, Director of Missions for the Pensacola Bay Baptist Association. Brian is a great leader in our association. He helps keep all the churches together, uh, working together for the sake of the gospel. And he had brought a really good word from Colossians chapter 3 yesterday. A really good challenge about uh, ultimately humbling ourselves and letting and following the Spirit of God. And, and letting him take control of our life, and then of, of just being thankful. And that was a really good word yesterday. Had a baby dedication yesterday. Uh, Cole and Piper Summers brought their little girl, Catherine, up to be dedicated and was talking with some people before the service. They were asking some questions about that. And uh, one of the things that kind of came up briefly was they asked, you know, what our stance on infant baptism was. And I just kindly said, well, we would do that, but we don't see it in the scriptures. Amen. Uh, but what we do at our church is we... Uh, it's it's kind of like a parenting commission service. We right. we bring the parents up. Uh, we brought uh, a family up from our church. The Starks came and and, and prayed for Colin Piper, and then Piper's sister was actually with them yesterday. So they were representing their family and the church family. They laid hands on them and prayed for them uh, as we dedicated Catherine to the Lord. So, yeah, I thought it was a really sweet time time, time of the service. It was good. Um, so we we did that. We also had a prayer time yesterday, uh, sort of. Um, remembering the the Rodriguez family during this kind of difficult season for them. Uh, one of our our deacons, uh, Dick Rodriguez, passed away last, was it Thursday evening? Thursday evening. Yeah, last Thursday evening, and there'll be a, a funeral service for him here at the church. This coming Wednesday at 11 a.m., a visitation with the family at 10 o'clock. And so, uh, you know, just to come pay respects to Mr. Rod and and, and love on his family. Um, we had so many people during these last several months where he was sick, with cancer that, that it's kind of stepped up and I won't name names, but some, some families and some, some mm-hmm. sweet ladies that stepped up and really helped them with food and, and just checking on him and getting him to doctor's appointments and things like that. And it just, you know, our scripture reading yesterday was from James chapter one and it ends up that chapter ends up where it talks about mm-hmm. how we take care of orphans, how we take care of widows and, and, and thus widowers. And I thought that, um, 
you know, we saw that lived out in front of us mm-hmm. the past few weeks. And we, I mean, we, we, at our church, we put a, a, a pretty good emphasis on orphan care, foster care ministry. But mm-hmm. I think sometimes with the widow and widower, that kind of stays behind the scenes because we as a staff and our LMT, our deacons, we sort of take care of that. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of brought to the forefront with, with Mr. Mr. Rod. So um, thank thank you to all you families and ladies that helped out in that situation. You know, yesterday I was talking with the teenagers was just kind of, we took a moment, a little bit of a heavy moment before we got into our teaching time yesterday in our small group, um, but was making sure that they were aware of his passing. And, you know, maybe yeah, some you, people didn't know yet. You could have heard yeah. a pin drop in the room. Um, and, you know, a few of them after our small group yesterday came up and they were just expressing, you know, gratitude for being around him for the, uh, Rod welcomed everybody. That's right. He, he loved people. And I don't think that he knew how big of an impact that he was having on teenagers, on children, on families. Um, but man, what a what a great testimony! So we've been working on his 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 uh, going home service uh, really really for about a month because he knew this was coming. So he kind of planned it out, mm-hmm. and you know he he picked out the music, he picked out um, he he wrote some things that are going to be read in the service, and it's just. I think it's going to be a really nice uh, a memorial to a, a really a, a good man that that God let us be able to share life with for a few years. Absolutely. So, so today we wanted to discuss something that's um, kind of a uh, unfortunately a trend that we've seen uh, over the past year or so, and that's people that are Christian leaders that that sort of fall away or they renounce their faith. And um, most weeks we try to figure out something to talk about for our podcast. And this conversation came up with uh, me and John were talking yesterday morning during our prayer time uh, before the, before the, we got our day going, and this subject came up. So, John, why don't you kind of throw it out there, kind of what, what we were talking about. Yeah, so there's a lot of different areas, and I think we've actually talked about one of these on the podcast before about deconstructionism and what that is. And there are a lot of different ways that people deconstruct either their faith or the Bible. And there's a lot of different levels that people can land on. Some of them would say, okay, well, I believe that this is true, but, you know, add in some other kind of outside source uh, to the scriptures. And that's a really slippery slope that you can get on. Mm -hmm. I was talking with um, a, a pastor this week, and he was talking about how, you know, maybe there's some some flaws in some English translations of the Bible and and things like that. And certainly you could look at, you could compare something like the the NIV to the ESV and find some differences in that. And he was he was pointing out that those differences uh, he he thought were more than just a translation issue, uh, that they may even be some flaws in that which I want to be very clear, we believe that the Bible is true, that it is the inspired and fallible Word of God. Um, and, you know, if you get really get down into it, if there's a difference in where a comma is placed or a the is changed to a you, that's not uh, a drastic difference. But whenever you take things like gender-specific language mm-hmm. and you totally get rid of that, it changes the context of the verses that it's in, and right. that is a very dangerous place to be. Well, and some sometimes you're dealing with a version that, that's a translation from a, from a manuscript. Sometimes you're dealing with a paraphrase, mm-hmm. which is a paraphrase of an English version. So that that can be a blanket statement to say, "Oh, there's just flaws." Well, what is translated from an actual you know Greek Hebrew manuscript, and what mm-hmm. is just the paraphrase from another English version? Because that does matter. Absolutely, because things do break down in translation. They do. So ultimately, that gets into the subject of textual criticism, 
but that's not really the direction that this conversation's headed in. Over the last couple weeks, uh, I've been made aware of uh, a couple guys that have a YouTube channel and have a podcast uh, named Rhett and Link. Now, Nathan is a Gen Zer, and he knew all about Rhett and Link. He knew he knew exactly who they were. Uh, he watches their their show from time to time, and this was not a surprise to him. Uh, that that this came up. See, I'm Gen X. I have no idea who they were. To you said I'm a it millennial, and yeah. I didn't know either. <laughs> yeah, so. so, see, that's why it's good to have a, a multi generational staff because we don't know. It's like Pastor Tim being a being a what is he? The greatest generation? No, he's not that old. Whoa, he's not a boomer. I think he and I both are Gen X. I think so. Yeah. So these guys that we're talking about, Rhett and Link, are both Gen Xers who grew see, up. We're messing it up for everybody. The Gen Xers. I'm telling you, yeah. the millennials are going to be pointing to you. Y'all have been blaming us for everything yeah, for we, so long. I suspected it was our fault all along. <laughs> <laughs> so Rhett and Link uh, have this story. There's a series of podcasts that they do where they talk about uh, what they call the lost years or ultimately how they deconstructed their faith. But listening to this, um, listening to their story, I found some very strikingly odd similarities in the way that I was that I grew up through middle school and high school and even college. Uh, I have a lot of things in common with them. Uh, one area that they talk about is you know being saved uh, early, and they talk a lot about the Christian subculture that they were in, and a lot of that had to do with music. So if you think mm-hmm. way back into the early two thousands, there was this like. Uh, contemporary Christian world that was kind of blowing and going, and a lot of things were centered around that. And then, you know, uh, going into the 2000s, um, coming off of like grunge and that, a lot of, uh, they called it like scene and and hardcore music. So ultimately, it would be like heavy metal, and they would scream at you, but it would be about like Jesus dying to save your soul kind of thing. And they kind of got sucked into this world and their church that they belonged to had a Christian coffee shop that they were able to go and do shows in front of. And man, I can remember almost every weekend, one of my friends was trying to go down Moffat Road or to this uh, place off of Greelot um, where people would go and they would play music. And it had to be Christian-based, um, but ultimately that was a subculture that they were growing and people were learning uh, different things apart from the church from that. Hmm. So moving forward in their story, they uh, go to college and they become a part of Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now uh, called Crew. And they spent some time with, uh, so, and they they will even say, you know, man, these were great people. They were really investing in us. They loved us. They took time to invest in us. Um, but they were taking some time to develop their own craft per se. And I have to kind of pause here for a second to talk about another conversation that I had actually with my father-in-law a couple days ago, um, where he was saying, you know, we're working through a lot of these uh, leadership type podcasts and trainings. And one of the things that they are really big on teaching is uh, replicating your DNA as a leader into other leaders so that you can lead more efficiently and better. Okay. And we were talking about that and it, it, you know, it sounds good, but part of the problem with that is as you're replicating your DNA into somebody else, we all have flaws. I have flaws. Right. You have flaws. Nathan has flaws. Nathan and has a lot of flaws. It's true. <laughs> yeah. He says, it's true from afar. I don't know if you could hear that. But, <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's lighthearted today. But um, 
one of the issues with that is we also replicate our flaws, not just the positive things. Right, I was going to say, if you start start talking about replicating DNA, the only perfect DNA is Jesus Christ himself. So over time, as we replicate our, uh, as our flaws are replicated in other people, over the course of relationships, you can end up with a picture that is very muddy mm-hmm. of Jesus. And as I was listening to the story from these guys of how they started leading in Campus Crusade for Christ, the thing that they so centered around was starting their craft of entertaining people. And every it seems like from college on, everything that they were focused on was coming in and leading a show. Like they would start their crew meetings with maybe a funny video or a Saturday Night Live type interview where they would do announcements. And from there, they really talk about how, man, that faith was like a bridge to lead them to this career. And absolutely nothing that I heard. I've listened, came to this with an open mind and listened to everything that they were saying. And it, it always pointed back to an issue that they had with the Christian subculture rather than the actual gospel and Mm. ways that ways that the culture around them was dealing with that. So the, th- the idea that that really led me to was that, man, we have to be so careful that we're focusing on the point of church and not the things that we like about church. But it's so easy to do. You, you talk about a subculture. It's so easy to kind of find your niche because you have relationships, you have friends, you have uh, you get affirmation. Like you said, like they, they've got this this platform of being an entertainer, and you see that in music, you see it in speaking, where you you can see, hey, I can probably do this for a living. I'm pretty good at this, mm-hmm. and it just so happens because there is this faith or this positive spin to it. There's there's an audience for this. There'll always be an audience for that, mm-hmm. so that you you sort of take advantage of. It. But like when the when the push comes to shove, and you have to really. Like they guess like the the point they've come to is like is this real for us? Does this is this is this is this really who I am? Then that that's when it, it bubbles to the surface. What are you? You know, are you in or are you out? For sure, I'm gonna throw out a somewhat radical idea. So don't shoot me down. Uh, hear me out for just a second. But I think tr- as as I look back over my life and how I've experienced Christianity. Typically, the pop culture stream of Christianity has led me away from the person of Jesus, and okay. the church has led me towards Christ. How so? So, as as I listen to like the contemporary Christian music that I hear on the radio, the focus is not on the cross. Now, I, I think some, in, in time some of it them. has yeah. th- these are broad generalizations, sure, sure. but. When I was like driving to, when my dad would drive me to school, we would be listening to uh, a Christian radio station out of Mobile. And, you know, you're listening to people like Stephen Curtis Chapman on the radio, th- those kind of, of things. And certainly he has songs that are glorifying to God. I'm not making that statement. But the kind of pop culture side of that is you come out of a worship song into, oh, well, they're coming into town to Winter Jam and you need to get all your, yeah. your kids. And It's and a business. That. Absolutely. It's a business. And yeah. my thought is that the business side of that can pollute the gospel and can pollute. I can truth. see that. Which you know you've seen a you've seen a swing, uh, even in worship music, 
to where it's it's less so much an artist being filtered through Nashville and more so these churches that are writing their own songs. Mm. And so they I think that's a positive shift in what's on the radio is that it is it is it is church worship teams writing songs to be sung by a church and they're really they can put that content out with or without a record label. It's just going out, you know, they release their own stuff. Mm. Um that I think that's a good thing because it's less commercialized and less less uh curated for the market and more written for the church itself. That's been a good, a good trend in in that. For sure. And I don't, I'm not just picking a bone with Christian music. Uh, my friends and I, whenever we were growing up, we would use church events almost as a way to like get away from mom and dad a little bit. Like we were, whatever we were going to do, we were going to do it. It was just under the umbrella of the church. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we would use some of those things to almost get in trouble, but it was almost like, oh, because it's with the church, it has the stamp of approval. And even though our hearts weren't in the right place, uh, it gave us it gave us an outlet for those things. And whenever I hear this deconversion story of these guys, I just really am convinced that they've been led astray by some of those stamps of approval of, oh, well, it's under the umbrella of the church, so it's okay. And that really breaks my heart for my generation because we're the ones that grew up in this. Like as, as I listen to their story about the lost years, the way that they're describing it is almost verbatim what I experienced. But the difference is whenever I tested the spirits, as the Bible says, it led me straight to the cross of Jesus mm-hmm. and not away from that. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a parent that's listening and your student, your teenager are asking questions about the Bible, don't shy away from those. Engage those. There's a healthy way to to doubt, especially as your prefrontal cortex is developing, as you are able to process uh, maybe some deeper theological concepts as well as scientific and, and, and physical evidence ways. Don't shy away from that because, but also don't make up an answer if you don't know. That was one of the most dangerous things that happened to me is when I started asking questions and people were just talking and making up an answer that seemed good whenever it just took a pretty quick search through uh, any any kind of of either Bible scholar or someone that there was an answer for that that was plausible and that was true. So something we talked about yesterday morning too, it, it seems like in these guys' situation and some other situations, even us, we get a good head knowledge. Mm-hmm. Like you, you go to the right, the right conference, the right seminars, the right colleges, the right seminaries, and you, you know a lot of theological truth. You know a lot of history, all those things, and those things are good. And we are in an age of apologetics. I've heard it said that <clears throat> you know modern evangelism is very much tied to apologetics, and I think that's probably true. So I'm not, I am not downing apologetics, but but hear me out. I'm gonna say something that might kind of uh, be a little controversial too. In the age of this huge uh, turn toward apologetics, and there's there, there are tons of resources. You go to Right Now Media, there's tons of resources on apologetics. Apologetics are good, but you're not going to debate and convince someone into a relationship with Jesus Christ based on really good arguments and facts. There has to be an awakening of the Holy Spirit in mm-hmm. that person. There has to be a transformation of the spiritual side of things. In fact, I would say that needs to happen first before you start knowing all mm-hmm. the stuff, right? Sure. Because 
there is a spiritual and a faith side of that that's going to have to transform you and and make you alive. You're drawn to the Lord and you're you're regenerated, and then through that, the the things you learn about, you know, if the world was made in seven days or not, or if Jonah could actually be in the side of, inside of a whale or a fish, or if 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 Noah actually built a, an ark and filled it full of all the animals, all those things like that, like if 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 I'm just looking at that from a clearly analytical point of view, that seems like crazy fairy tales. But if I look at it from a point of view, I've been transformed, and I know a God who can raise Jesus from the dead, and I believe that, then of course all the other stuff can be true as well. It is true as well as we believe. Like it's it's real because my faith and my my the Holy Spirit in me allows me to understand and believe that without having to be convinced, you know, philosophically. Sure. I have a friend who always says, you know, the the thing with the Bible is if you can get past Genesis 1-1, the rest of it's easy. Hmm. You can believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, then putting a man in a fish for a few days seems like kind of a small feat, right? And uh, it, it, even in the words of Jesus, Matthew 7, he says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction— and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Mm. And I think that last aspect is, is a little bit dangerous for us whenever it says, and few find it, because we are coming off of a generation that was led to raise your hand or walk down an aisle and repeat a prayer. And I've, I've shared my test last week on the podcast. I shared my testimony. I asked somebody what it meant to be baptized, and they were mm-hmm. willing to say, hey, you've been changed by God's grace when I wasn't. Yeah. And I know I'm not the only one with a story like that. And I'm really afraid that there's a lot of people out there who have really bad misconceptions of who who even Jesus is, that they have created their own version of Jesus, and they're walking away from that version of Jesus, and they've never experienced the true person of Jesus. And I'll say this as a parent, and, and even especially being a, a pastor on staff of a church, and I've, you know, we I have, we have church kids. I was a church kid, but we're raising church kids. That terrifies me that they would come out knowing all the right answers and there'd be there'd be no heart transformation for real in them. Um that was a big moment for me because I, I I kind of have a similar testimony. My dad's a pastor. I was raised in a Christian I got saved at the age of seven and I, yes, I understood. I really do, but I understood what it meant to get saved. I understood that my sin, you know, separated me from God, and I repented and everything. But I didn't know everything when I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. It wasn't much until much later that I came into a greater understanding of all of it. And then once I got old enough to get out on my own, and it quit being so much my parents' walk and became my own walk. Like I'm like you. That's where. I don't. I can't tell you a time and a place necessarily that happened. That was just a gradual and part of my sanctification process that happened for me. Some of those guys don't get that because they never had the transformation to begin with, and that's the scary thing. I think that's where you know when, when events, concerts, even church services are gauged successful based on the amount of decisions that are made, as opposed to hey, let's be a little careful here. Let's mm-hmm. don't just you know attribute to somebody. Oh, now you're saved you know, we can write your name down and there's no discipleship. There's no follow-up. There's no, uh, you know, an examination of the fruit that gets born after the fact. Um, you know, honestly, it's ministerial malpractice mm. to just broke, just proclaim, all right, now you're saved. Let's write down your information so that when we go to the next town, we can say how many people were saved in 
previous town. That is wrong. It just is. And ultimately, that leads to teaching a moralistic deism, not the cross yeah. of Christ. Yeah, for young people, if you're not having sex, or you're not drinking, then you're good to go. And it's something that, that that's a big challenge for me in Next Generation's ministries is because typically when parents see the fire, it's been going for a very, very long time. When, whenever they can start to see the smoke, the fire has been going for a really long time. The heart of, of the student is far from God. And there are a lot of warning signs that were way early whenever it was um, maybe guilt of not living up to some expectations because ultimately that shows a lack of understanding in the cross because it's a behavior modification-based salvation rather than by grace through faith. That's where the battle for man's soul is a spiritual war. It is not a physical thing. It is not a mental thing where you can you can reason somebody into it. Because if I can reason you into it, somebody else can reason you out. But if God does it, if if the Holy Spirit, you know, does that and 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 then that doesn't go away. Like in Romans chapter eight, starting at verse 35, uh, the apostle Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors uh, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There, I mean, if you're really and truly regenerated, born again, it says there in you know, 38, 39, that there's nothing that can take you from that. So if you are removed from that, I don't think you ever were in it to begin with. Yeah, and just because you may have doubts or you may have questions along the way, for me, that was a very refining process of my faith when I was able to ask questions. And a lot of those came, believe it or not, straight out of a Christian studies department at a Baptist college. Hmm. I was introduced to a lot of ideas about the interpretation of Scripture that ultimately I pushed back against. And, and that underscored why I believe what I believe. And even though I may have some differences in views with that teacher— uh, throughout that process, I was able to see, and ultimately at that point, it was a head knowledge, and that became even more true later. And I think that's such an important distinction mm -hmm. of knowing something and doing something. Something we talked about, too, in a lot of these situations we've seen. I, I don't know about the the, the Rhett and Link thing, but um, some of the other things we've seen, I think we're going to see the other shoe drop at some point. These, these high-profile Christian leaders who say— that they no longer believe this because they've come to some, <clears throat> some enlightenment. I think what you're going to see is there's going to be either a sin or a lifestyle choice that does not line up with Scripture, and they're not willing to let go of that so that they're going to choose to say, well, I just don't believe this anymore when the truth was. And maybe you don't. Maybe you didn't begin with, but you're choosing this other thing above living the Christ life and again, another evidence, you know, that you probably never were <clears throat> to begin with. So anyway, we need to wrap this up. So a couple closing thoughts. Yeah. The man, the rich young ruler did exactly that. He knew everything. He did the right things. And in the end, <clears throat> Jesus pointed out something that revealed that his heart was far from God. Yeah. So 
It's not in doing the right things. It's that making sure your heart is in the right place. Philippians yeah. chapter two, the attitude of Christ, uh, so important. And I want to encourage you, if you're a parent, there's a an, an incredible resource available to you is the Center for Parent and Youth Understanding, cpyu.org. There are countless uh, research studies that have been done on Gen Z and even the younger version of Gen Z that will be renamed at a later date. But if you feel overwhelmed in this youth culture world, they make it very easy for you to navigate, uh, point out uh, some some ways that you can engage in conversations with your students about all of these things we've been talking about in more uh, ways. That's a resource that's available to you, cpyu.org. Hey, and let me say this too before, before we finally close. Uh, you know, this is not... Here are hearts. We're not being Pharisees on this and saying, "Oh, they all these people are wrong and we're right." Um, we've all gone through those moments where you where you question. I have, you know, is is this real? Is this what I really believe? And every time, kind of like you said a while ago, every time when I get in the scripture, I talk to good counsel, friends, and pastors. You know, my heart just it gets, it always gets strong back to the cross. Always gets strong back to Jesus. To where I've heard my dad say this many times in preaching. You know, if he's trusting in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. If he's wrong, he's clinging to that all the way down to destruction, but he doesn't know anything else to cling to. It's kind of what's only, you know, we we have nothing else to cling to but this. All our hope is in Jesus, like the famous song by Crowder is right now. All of our hope is in Jesus. And, you know, there's nothing else to hope in. And it, luckily we believe, and I, I'm, I'm confirmed through the word of God, and I'm confirmed in my spirit when the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart. But that is the truth, and uh, one day we will we will see him face to face. And all these things that we talk about that we see through this sort of uh, you know like Paul says a, a a glass darkly or through a you know through veiled eyes will be made clear one day when we see him face to face. Thanks for listening to another week of To the Point. If you want to know more information about our church, you can visit our website to the point church. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're there, leave us a rating and review. It helps us get the word out. And if you want to hear sermons from us, you can just search for The Point Church Sermons wherever it is that you get your podcast. And if you have a question that you'd like us to answer, you can send an email to hello at to the point dot church.